The text for the sermon this day is taken from that reading from Ephesians, which you heard earlier, especially these words. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So how many of you recognize this? Hopefully some of you do. Now some of you might be younger and this was not the edition you used. But this is Luther's Small Catechism. This is the 1942 edition. So if you're confirmed some point in between the 40s and the 90s, very good chance you use this book. Might have been skinnier. But so if you think about your catechism. So some of you younger kids, you have the burgundy version or the red version. But so it starts out, the first chief part is what? Ten Commandments. Then you have the Apostles' Creed. Then you got the Lord's Prayer. Then you have the Sacrament of Holy Baptism. Then you have the Office of the Keys and Confession and Absolution. And then number six is the Lord's Supper. Now there's a part, there are two parts that come after it. Sometimes your pastor would make you memorize it. Sometimes he didn't. It depended how much, there, how much time there was left in the year as to whether or not you had to do it. So some years, like, well, I don't have time, so we're not going to get to it. But, and one of those is a section of Luther's prayers. Morning, Luther's evening prayer, Luther's morning prayer, Luther's mealtime prayer, and then there's also his prayer after you eat. And so this is the morning prayer. At the very beginning, it says, In the morning, when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross. So if you're wondering, can Lutherans make the sign of the cross? It's right there in your small catechism. Yes. And say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. And then again, for evening, he says, in the evening, when you go to bed, make the sign of the Holy Cross, and say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And you can tell this is an older translation because it said Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit. It means the same thing, just change in language through the decades. So the question is, why begin and end every day with the sign of the cross and those words? Well, it has to do with Jesus' great commission. After he had risen from the dead, prior to his ascension, he said, Go make disciples of all nations. By the way, the word disciple, it means follower. Now, not follower in the way we probably might understand it. It actually was pretty literal. When we say they were a follower, it meant they literally followed the person. So, for example, if Jesus was, so if you're a follower of Jesus, and we're talking about not, we're talking about like, we're talking about the original 12, being a follower of Jesus meant if he went to the marketplace, you went to the marketplace. If he turned left, you turned left. If he turned right, you turned right. Why? Because you would want to hear 
every single word he said and witness every single thing he did. Probably the more accurate understanding of the word disciple in our culture would be student. Because that's, that's what a disciple is. Discipline is a form of teaching. So a disciple is a student. And so he says, go make disciples, students, followers of all peoples, of all nations. And then tells you how. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's where it begins, is in baptism. So one day, when you were born, you were born a sinner. You were born in rebellion to God. You were born dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were born an enemy. And so one day you were brought to the baptismal font, whether you were an infant or you're in your 90s or somewhere in between. You're brought to the baptismal font, and the pastor said, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And then he would say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For on that day, you were marked, redeemed by Christ the crucified. By his death on the cross, you were redeemed. In the waters of baptism, you received that blessing, and you were called to be his disciple. So that leads us back to Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So why begin your day with the sign of the cross? To remind you of your calling. You are a child of God. That means when you go through your calling, which by the way, every one of you has a calling. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. Every single one of you has a calling. Your calling might be that you're a farmer, you might work at Midwest, you might work at Gomeco, you might work at the bank, the hospital, at the school, you might be a student, college, high school, elementary, whatever. You may be retired, and that even too is a calling. And you're also parents, siblings, children, grandchildren. Everyone has a calling. A place where God has placed you to be his witness, to be actually his missionary. And so in that calling, you are to walk in a worthy, in a manner worthy of that calling. With humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you want to even go farther, go to the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, self-control. Those are the things that you are to be. 
We are to be, as missionary Gary would frequently use that phrase, not normal. Your Lord is to be on your lips. You are to do strange things, like be in God's Word. You wake up in the morning, and one of the first things you do, actually, ideally, the first thing you do is you read God's Word. You pray to Him, give thanks that you woke up. And the last thing you do when you go to sleep, you pray and you give thanks. You read His Word, you sing a hymn or a song. You're in His Word. Because when it talks about unity of the Spirit, understand that is not unity for unity's sake. Sometimes what people do is they'll do what is called agree to disagree theology. It's like, we're united. We don't agree on everything, but we're united. And I'm like, no, you're just in denial. You're divided. You just don't want to admit it. Unity is unity in doctrine. Unity in your confession. That's why we as Lutheran, why you are learned, you learn this catechism in confirmation. And actually, when you get older, once you get done with that, you should actually move on to the book of Concord and read that and understand what it is we confess. But we are called to be united in confession. That is true unity. Unity is found in the truth himself. Its unity is found in the bread of life, Christ. And that is what we are to seek throughout our days, throughout our lives. Think about communion. That is, a, that is kind of a taste of that. There's a reason. It's called common union. The many become one. It expects a level of unity, a oneness in confession. This is what we are called to be. But we do indeed live in a world that is anything but united. To seek after unity is controversial in our culture. To agree to disagree or even more to say, well, that's true to you, but this is true to me, and we're both right. That is the popular mantra of our world, what we call relativism, or truth is based upon your own narrative, your own story, or the story of your, your community. There's no such thing as truth in our culture. But if you hold to it, and by the way, if anybody thinks that Paul is asking for unity for unity's sake, at the very end of that passage in Ephesians 4, he says, he says, Do not, no we are to be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You read his other letters when he says, Keep a close watch on your doctrine. For in doing so, you'll save the both your lives and the lives of your hearers. So Paul is definitely not saying, throw away your differences and just pretend you're getting along. Rather, unity is found in the teachings, in the confession of Christ, in one true confession. And humility, and by the way, when we're talking about this, in humility and in love and gentleness, 
when we find someone who we disagree with, we, could, we converse with them. We talk with them in gentleness, humility, patience. And your goal isn't just to prove that the other guy is wrong. Humility is actually being ready for the fact that you might be wrong. One of the things when you go to seminary very quickly, they humble us. Because when I came out of Concordia, Wisconsin, I thought, oh, I'm a pretty smart guy. And then I spent one day in class and they really, and I said something that was dumb. I'm like, okay. So hum humility is a good thing. Recognizing you can be wrong. But see, your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to arrive at the truth. And the reason you're doing it is not to make a fool of the other. You're doing it because you love them. Because you love them, you want them to be standing in the truth with you. That is how we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So think about the way your workplace. Think about who God has placed, where God has placed you. Your school, where you work, whatever. I guarantee it, there are people right there that God has placed next to you to whom you are called to be a witness, to tell of the gospel. And we are to be mindful of how we live. But there's another reason, there are other reasons we make the sign of the cross. We say those words at the beginning of the day and in the morning. Because when you go through the day, raise your hand if you've ever had somebody say something bad to you. If some of you are not, like, way to go. So, or you need to turn up your hearing aid, one of the two. <laughs> so, every single one of us has heard those harsh words. We know what people have said about us and said to us. The wonderful thing by starting with those words in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. That was, those were words that were placed on you when you were baptized. I don't know about you, but I was baptized as an infant. I did not say one thing during that baptism, as far as I know. I did not walk up to that baptismal font. I'm pretty certain I had to be carried, because I was only a few weeks old. So, in that moment, God chose you. You did not choose him. He chose you in love. Why? Because you were created by God the Father. And by that alone you were valuable. And Jesus Christ died for the whole world, which includes you. So no matter what someone says to you, what someone says about you, you are in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are created by God the Father. Jesus died for you and claimed by the Holy Spirit. It matters not what someone says of you. You are a child of God. And even more, as I just went through that whole thing about unity, humility, patience, gentleness, how many of you are sitting there think, oh yeah, I, I got that perfect every single day? I mean, how many of you could definitely say you got the patience part down? Probably not. We get impatient if we get a red light sometimes. And you know what? As you go through your life, you will fail it. 
You're going to get done at the end of the day and you're going to look at what God has called you to be and you'll realize you have not kept up. And so you return to those words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You were baptized. No, you are baptized. We don't say I was baptized. We say I am baptized. It's an ongoing reality. You are always baptized into Christ, which means that the sins you had for, that you had committed up to your baptism are forgiven. The sins you will for, you'll commit afterwards, they are forgiven. So at the end of the day with those words, you are reminded that all those times you have failed, all those times you come short, he has already forgiven you by the blood of Jesus. In the one Lord, the one faith, one baptism which you received, you were cleansed, forgiven. And there's even a reason why you do it at the end of the night. Beyond the fact that you, your failures through the day, it's also the reality that one day you will go to sleep and you will not wake up. Death is a reality for all of us. And so think of that old prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray my Lord, my soul to take. Those words before you go to sleep. If you should die, you're a child of God. You won't be walking in a manner, so to speak, unless you sleepwalk. But you you'll be sleeping in a manner worthy of the calling. What that means is that if you die in your sleep, you are called as a child of God, as a disciple of Christ, and death is not the end. In fact, death is just means your, your nap is a little bit longer, and you're going to wake up, and Jesus is going to tell you to wake up, and you will rise bodily to never die again, never to be hungry again, never to thirst again. That's why we make those, that wonderful words. The morning, at the night, it is who you are when you're awake, when you are asleep. It's a reminder of what you're called to do, called to be. It's a reminder of the grace you have in the times that you do fail. So indeed, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 